Ready to set off on your captivating journey into the botanical world? NYBG's brand new online education program, Plant Studio, offers bite-sized courses tailor-made for you to pursue your passion as a budding plant person. Guided by professionals, dig into gardening, botany, floral design, landscape design, and more. Grow your skills with online learning your way. Register at nybg.org. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Welcome. With Michael Smirkanish. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a Sirius XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say, and so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op-eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews are with book authors. Book Club with Michael Smirkanish is now in session. Christine Emba. Christine Emba is a columnist from the Washington Post, author of a brand new book getting a lot of attention. It is called Rethinking Sex. And, and this is my attempt at an articulation of the thesis. And then we'll see if she agrees. More is less. In other words, the enticement to have more sex, the liberation, if that's the proper term, to have more sex has not resulted in more satisfaction among those who actually are having more sex. And by the way, where the rules and the means of meeting people have changed significantly, many people are actually having less sex. So the question then arises, why if we live in a period of sexual liberation are so many so unhappy with their sex lives? And maybe, she argues, it's because of the primacy of consent. All right, Christine Emba, how am I doing so far? Hey, thanks for having me. And that is a great summary of the book. Um, I would say that rethinking sex is a call to arms against the current anything goes sexual culture. And yeah, I wrote it to critique the assumption that consent is the only standard we can have for, for whether sex is good or not. And to question whether some of the assumptions we've held on to post the sexual revolution and feminist movement are correct or if they're actually hurting us. Because as you said, so many young people are liberated and yet they're miserable. I have a theory on that, which I shall get to. By the way, that uh, summation of your book was not plucked from the Washington Post or New York Times, I will have you know. That was my own handiwork, <laughs> although I was tempted. Um, what made you interested in this subject? Why did you decide to write this book? 
Right. So I'm an opinion columnist at the Washington Post, and I've always been interested in questions of culture and society and ethics and how we relate to each other. And I started thinking about this after Me Too, because there were the big cases, but also so many young women and men um, also suddenly felt free to talk about these sexual encounters that they were having that were consensual, so not like a Harvey Weinstein situation, and yet still really bad you know, depressing or sad, or even in some cases, traumatic. And so many of them, you know, had seen that this was almost a norm. You saw stories like Cat Person or the Aziz Ansari thing, where so many women were like, oh, yeah, that that's happened to me. That That's just what dating is like. And I was just like, that's so sad. <laughs> this, this seems like not what we were promised here. So what has gone wrong in our sexual culture? And how can we fix it? You know, one of the things that you made me think about in the book is the impact of Me Too. And there's a vignette somewhere in here about a guy who says to you that he would never think of walking up to a woman in a coffee shop because that might be perceived as an aggressive act. And I'm not I'm not thinking that that's the main driver of what you write about, but I'll bet it is a factor. You know, I'm I am 60 and long out of the game. But if I were in the game today, I think I'd have to really worry about the misinterpretation of extending a greeting, you know, asking if you can buy somebody a drink and so forth. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, I wrote a piece for The New York Times actually last week that said, you know, straight people need better rules for sex. And in some ways, what we've seen after the sexual revolution and even post Me Too is that there is sort of an expansion of an an anything goes culture. Like you're free to do whatever you want. You know, sex can look like anything. Relationships can look like anything. And we're, we're told that this is great, you know, that we should feel really free, but without some understanding of like what our shared norms are, what our standards are and whether those standards are actually good, um, higher than just, you know, the sex act isn't actually illegal. There's nothing for people to look to, to see what they should be doing or what they can expect on a date or during a sexual encounter. And that makes them really nervous. In other Women words, sex, entering sex without sex, without responsibility is no panacea. Right. The lack of boundaries, you know, doesn't necessarily make everything better. In fact, it makes things a lot more confusing for many people. Something that you also made me realize is that traditionally the way that you would meet someone who would ultimately become a sexual partner was largely through family, through your social circle, or maybe through your work environment. And there was always going, this is not the way you verbalized it, but this is the way that I thought of it. There was always going to be a tomorrow, right? Where you'd been provided this introduction. Oh, Hey, how'd that go? And that, provided guardrails, the idea that however you met that person, that context was going to live on, kept everybody in check to a certain extent. Right, exactly. So rethinking sex, there's, you know, a whole chapter kind of dedicated to this idea of more privacy doesn't necessarily make sex better. So many people are meeting on dating apps, online, Tinder, Hinge, and there's no accountability for how you interact with another person, because unlike meeting through family or friends, you know, they're not going to, they don't know you. (laughs) They don't know your community. Um, They do not feel, you know, boundaried by any strictures of what other people might say. So 
people feel free to ghost. They feel free to ask for totally insane sex acts on the first date. Um, they feel like they can do whatever they want because they're not accountable to a larger community. And I think that's something about modern dating that hasn't been discussed enough. Christine Emba's book is called Rethinking Sex. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. Christine Emba's book is called Rethinking Sex. So, Christine, while I was reading your book, I was thinking about Jean Twangy's book called iGen. I hope you're familiar Mm -hmm. with it, but she's a psychologist from the University of San Diego and really put her finger on something I think significant. She noted that 2012 was the year when more than half of America now had a cell phone. And then she looks at the social science data and she sees a spike in 2014 about rates of teen depression and suicide and all of these different societal factors that have taken a turn for the worse. In your case, you write about how up until 2009, it was the family and the social circuit and the workplace where you met someone. But a Stanford researcher says 
2013 was the year online dating overtook meeting through friends as a way for couples to to get together. Wasn't that really the critical moment? In other words, Tinder and the others, I can't even name them, but really weren't a step for the better. It was a step for ease, but it's technology that's driving this. In many cases, that's that's right. I think technology is where we allow sort of our our most private and also sometimes worst selves to come to the surface. And in Rethinking Sex, I talk about the graph um, that shows just this remarkable drop-off in meeting through normal sources and this like huge upward line when it comes to online dating. But one thing about um, the technological innovations, I think, you know, we always have this idea that technology is going to be great for us, that it makes things better, that it's fixing things, you know, Tinder and Hinge and all the other apps were supposed to make dating easier. And then it's only, you know, 10 years later, in the case of Gene sort of writing about um, the iPhone, and, you know, almost 10 years now, me writing about dating apps, that we begin to think, hey, wait a minute, did this do something that it wasn't supposed to do. Maybe I didn't really fully think through (laughs) um, what the introduction of this new technology would mean. Right. In other words, if, 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 if young people today, whatever that might mean, and, and she talks about high schoolers or even uh, junior high schoolers, middle schoolers not having sex, and I guess some parents think, oh, that's a really good thing. I don't necessarily think it is a good thing myself, but the reason they're not having sex is because they're leading imaginary lives behind closed doors with technology instead of being out in the real world and interacting with, with flesh. Yeah, you know, in researching for Rethinking Sex, I talked to so many young men and women, including some who had, you know, stopped dating, had basically removed themselves from the dating market, like that young man you were talking about earlier. And the problem here, to me, is not that people are having less casual sex. Um, That might be fine. The problem is that young men and young women were telling me, you know, I really want to be in a relationship, like I want to care for someone and be cared for. And I can't figure out how to do that. This culture, the sexual culture is inhospitable to forming the relationships of care and love that I actually really want. And that's the worrying part. Uh, Another note that I made that I wanted to ask you about. So Pew, Pew finds in 2019, I don't understand this. Men are two times as likely as women to say no one would be interested in dating me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the most recent Pew surveys show that we're, you know, at a 30 year, well, not high, rather a 30 year low for the amount of sex that people are having and young people are leading the charge. Um, And part of that I do think is linked to, you know, dating app use. And in Rethinking Sex, I talk about this a lot. But part of it is also when you're sort of just swiping through people as you're incentivized to do on apps. Um, And you see people as kind of tradable cards. They're almost commodities. They're interchangeable. You feel like you have to compare yourself against those people and think of yourself in the same way. And especially for men, I think the volume of, in some ways, rejection that you can feel like you're swiping, you're swiping, you're not getting swipes back. Maybe there's something wrong with you. Maybe you're the problem that becomes really depressing and really discouraging for people who would like to meet a partner. They think that there's something wrong with them for not being the right kind of commodity. And in Rethinking Sex, I I talk about how this transactionalized approach to sex and dating 
hurts people both physically and psychologically. And this is part of that. It also made me realize that in a Tinder world, and I, I recognize, you know, Tinder is for hooking up, not necessarily for a relationship, but in a Tinder world, you're you're really giving the advantage to people based on looks. And maybe that's a tale as old as time, but there's there's no opportunity here for someone based on strength of personality. Let me explain it this way. Christine, I used to go out with this buddy of mine back when we were in our TC is already covering her TC. If you don't want to listen to this part of the conversation, then, then don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm cringing. Go ahead. Go ahead. I would go. I would go out with this guy, Rob, together. Rob was a really good looking guy. So you were the wingman. Was I? I don't I know. So. He, he was in like, he days. was, he was the bait. Oh boy. But for me, oh, Christine, you know, it, I'm sorry, but for me, I always <laughs> would have to work the strength of my personality. Oh, would you? And would that, would that it usually would did that not work? Quote unquote. No, seal the no, deal? no. His looks always were the ticket. You'd rather have his looks than my personality. Oh my but the point is, Christine, that in a Tinder world, it's all about looks, right? Yeah, I mean, it's much harder for people to make a good impression based on a good impression of their personality, at least if the only thing that you show someone is five pictures of your face and then 20 words of text. Um, And if people are sort of swiping through um, in a transactional way, they're not lingering to parse out your personality. And so, yeah, I think a lot of people do get lost. Final observation from me, and then you're going to sum up the impact of porn. Because, you know, porn in my era was it was it was a playboy that maybe your uncle received and you knew he received it and you knew when he threw it out. The availability of porn, porn's whatever you want to make of it. And and my impression is that if young men today, I can't speak for young women, but if young men today are being introduced to sex by porn, their expectations are going to be a little bit unrealistic. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, in Rethinking Sex, I, I give an example, actually, of a conversation I have with a woman who, you know, she's telling me she really likes this guy, um, but he chokes her during sex. And is that normal? And is it okay? She's that she a stranger, like by the way. You don't you don't even know <laughs> yeah, her. A total stranger. And she yeah. like doesn't have anyone else to ask because it feels like these new and more aggressive encounters have become almost normalized, almost mainstreamed. And definitely part of the reason for that is pornography. Um, pornography is seen, you know, at very young ages. I think the the average first age of encounter for boys is around eight years. Um, and then that becomes what sex education looks like. That's how people learn to have sex. But of course, porn is not real sex. <laughs> uh, that is not how people interact in real life. That's neither what women want or in some cases what men want. But by treating sex as though it's just something that you act out, that it doesn't matter, that you, you'll you just watch a porn video and you'll learn it because it doesn't mean anything more than that. Um, you mainstream things that maybe shouldn't be mainstreamed and a lot of people get hurt. My conclusion is that having read Christine Emba's book, Rethinking Sex, my conclusion is I'm glad that I came of age when I did instead of now. What's your takeaway? Well, you know, it's titled Rethinking Sex, and the subtitle is A Provocation. And I say provocation not because I was trying to make people mad with this book or upset, but actually to provoke conversation. You know, we need to be having these conversations out in the open about what sex means, about how we should be treating each other, about how to have a higher standard for our interactions than just consent. 
parents should be talking about this with their kids. Young people should be talking about this with each other. We should be talking about this in schools. And honestly, and, you know, so I hope that rethinking sex allows people, pushes people to really begin to think about what's going on in their sexual encounters and in our sexual culture to make it better for everyone, because it's clearly not that great right now. Hey, uh, just a, a quick question. Since you wrote the book, I mean, are people, oh, hey, Christine, I mean, did, does it change the way anyone has interacted with you? You know, it hasn't changed the way my close friends have interacted with me because they knew that I was writing this book. Right. But I will say I've gotten so many emails and notes from people who are saying, I thought I was the only one who felt this way about sex, about our culture. I feel like I'm not alone anymore. And also like people who say, wow, I, I never, I mean, I was having sex, I was dating, but I never really thought about why I was doing things the way I was doing them. You know, what, what would you do if you, you know, could do anything? Why do you choose what you choose? And what would you choose if you had the choice? I'm hearing that a lot of people are being pushed to rethink that in their own lives. And that makes me really happy. Well, nicely done. Thank you for writing the book and thank you for your willingness to come by and discuss it. Of course. Thank you for having a pro- me. A provocation. You succeeded with me. You provoked me. It got me thinking uh, a, a lot about uh, this subject, which I otherwise would not have. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Christine Emba. The book is called Rethinking Sex, A Provocation. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.